Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Roto World Football Podcast. I am Matt Straub. Today, we are bringing you a game-by-game review of Wild Card Weekend. Some of the key performances from every game and some takeaways moving forward. I'm joined by John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Danny Carter. Guys, normally on a football Sunday, we're watching a bunch of games, sometimes eight at once. We start at 1 p.m., finish late at night. It's a lot, right? This weekend, it was just two days, one game at a time, six games total, so I'm trying to figure out why it seemed like such an extraordinary amount of football. And Pat, please don't tell me this is just because we had a Bears Island game in there. Well, we this is going to be a good partnership between us and this podcast because I had the same pre-planned joke. I was going to say it's because the Chicago Bears were on the slate. That's why it felt like the most never-ending uh, two days of football in history. Was, yeah, that and then whatever the Steelers did, uh, that turned this into more of like a feat of endurance than a weekend of playoff football. I'll also say that we don't need six games in a wild card weekend anymore. And that might be a contrarian thought, but we saw that six teams don't deserve to be in the wild card round. At least four of these coaches don't deserve to move on to the divisional round. We'll talk about that as we move along here. But boy, were there some egregious coaching calls this weekend. There were, but, and you're just totally uh, right. I mean, we shouldn't be- ever complain about more football. But yeah. I mean, they had NFL had the perfect playoff format, literally the perfect playoff format, and even these two extra teams are enough to tilt it out of balance. In the in the future, we're going to have ten wild card games, so you know we should get used to it. <laughs> Half the league will make it with participation trophies. It's going to be great. It's almost like it's almost like some of these teams needed need a quarterback, but we'll get into that. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari, starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. 
Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Let's start with the first game of the weekend. Bills beat the Colts 27-24. Their first playoff win since 1995. Josh Allen was not yet alive. We think Hayden Winks was alive, but we're not positive. <laughs> this was not the highest scoring game of the weekend, but arguably the most entertaining, I would say. Denny, you blurbed this on Roto World. How did Josh Allen and the Bills get it done, and what stood out to you? You know, uh, they they weren't like particularly sharp early on, um, and they were – kind of weirdly sort of trying to establish the run a little bit, you know, it, which is not their identity in, in any way, but their, their passing attack at this point feels inevitable, you know, that eventually Josh Allen is going to make uh, one or two or three throws that, you know, are pretty unbelievable uh, stuff, you know, falling off his back foot, uh, throwing it into triple coverage, threading the needle, throwing it deep, you know, flicking his wrist and throwing it 50 yards that these kind of throws, um, and and that and that's what happened. And it just it happens all at once. It seems like with the Bills, where it's just this flood of of passing production that hits the other team, and there's no, you know no recovering from that unless the other team you know can pick up some points and and successfully chase those points. And we saw the Colts uh, do that. You know, in the uh, third and fourth quarter, I, I thought it was actually kind of impressive the way that uh, Philip Rivers made it a game. Um, and I think that it showed that Buffalo's defense is uh, more than a little vulnerable going forward. Among the 12 starting quarterbacks or the 12 quarterbacks to play a full game since Jared Goff essentially played the full game uh, this week, Josh Allen, oddly enough, ran only the seventh highest rate of play action among that group. And that's not, to Denny's point, the Bills offense whatsoever. So their play calling in the first half befuddled me. My takeaway was that they were outplayed, and that's worrisome for this next round. It's a completely different game, I know, but with the Ravens offense that we'll talk about in a bit that's still clicking on all cylinders coming into this game, it's certainly concerning that the, the Colts had 470 yards of offense, didn't commit a single turnover, converted 53% of their third downs, and yet still only scored three points on drives to the 15-14 and two-yard line due to poor coaching, punted inside Bill's territory twice in that game. So it wasn't that the Bills outplayed the Colts. The Colts actually outplayed the Bills, but poor coaching is what ultimately decided this one. Um, it's easy to point to Phillip Rivers' missed fourth and one on the goal line because it was a wide-open Michael Pittman streaking free. But at the end of the day, uh, it's just like the Bills genuinely have to call a better game and just outright play better. Yeah, I mean, the Bills should have lost this game. I mean, they really should have. It was uh, like kind of like – it was kind of like a classic Phil Rivers. How did the Colts lose this game? You know, questionable punt decisions, questionable field goal decisions, hurt by some bad calls. My dad, like Boomer, thought on this game is that, like the Buffalo Bills franchise had so much bad mo- mojo that like they really – they needed a playoff game where like they got lucky to kind of like exercise the demons. Like this can happen now the bad luck isn't all ours. So maybe they'll be sharper going forward. But like John said, they got outplayed. Um, they should have lost. Uh, and uh, I don't know what was going on with the game plan. Maybe some galaxy braining like early with the, the running, trying to zig where the Colts are expecting them to zag and come out run heavy. But uh, 
yeah, don't do that again. Because like Denny said, like the passing attack can kind of be almost chiefs like at this point where it's like a flood. Right. Like, like it was Denny's exact word. Like you just can't stop it. And, uh, they got, so they got lucky as we know, every team that wins a championship usually like survives a game like this. So maybe they'll take away some important lessons, make the, the necessary adjustments going forward. Cause yeah, it was a concerning. I'm not, I don't think it's like a game that tells me like the bills can't win the AFC can't like maybe mess around and beat the chiefs. I would still obviously think the chiefs would be heavy favorites, but yeah, they've got to clean some things up. Yeah, you highlighted it, Daigle. That felt like the real what-if moment in this game, that Michael Pittman play where he's open in the end zone, dives, outstretched off his hands. That that feels like that really was the moment where if that's a touchdown, this is an entirely different game. Frank Reich literally did everything right except the things he needed to do right. That's what it was. It's like He coached a fine game all around except in the moments he needed to make better play-calling decisions. Uh, and that's sort of been, like Pat said, the story of the Colts all year. Uh, they are a Phillip Rivers possession away every single game. You look to week one in Jacksonville. You look to their the lead they had against the Steelers a few weeks ago that they let the Steelers come back in the second half. Like it's just been the same constant result for the Colts this year. It seems to follow that narrative, that storyline, that plot seems to follow Phillip Rivers around wherever he goes. And that's the important takeaway for the Colts is that now Rivers, of course, um, walks into free agency. Do they want him back? Uh, T.Y. Hilton likely gone because they're not franchising a receiver who was only impactful for a handful of games and turns 32 in November. So the Colts come, could come out looking completely different and probably open as a run-heavier team. I imagine they'll look for a veteran quarterback who just takes care of the ball in free agency because they will likely look to feature Jonathan Taylor from the get-go. I wonder how do you think they feel the Colts feel about being the last team in NFL history that made Ben Roethlisberger look good because that's kind of <laughs> like, like, heading into the offseason. And speaking of Philip Rivers, I mean the guy can manage the hell out of a game still, but uh, he had more than two touchdowns only three times this year and only twice in 2019. So that's five times in two seasons that he exceeded two touchdowns. Uh, he's still you know he can dink and dunk with the best of them, but you know he used to have mix be one of the best and mixing that dinking and dunking with an explosive element. And it just seems like that explosive element is gone. And, you know, he's playing through a broken toe. He's played through so many injuries. He seemed uh, very philosophical after the game Saturday, and it wouldn't be shocked if it was the final game of Philip Rivers' career. You know, uh, getting back to Pittman for a second, I think we kind of saw a glimpse of what uh, his role could be next year with the Colts, you know, T.Y. Hilton likely gone Pittman, you could slide into that number one wide receiver role. I think I think it would be assumed that he will do that. He led the team in targets. He was this close to that uh, outstretched arm touchdown grab in the uh, early in the game. Had a lot of yards after the catch. You know, he was I think right behind Zach Pascal for some reason in target share this year. Um, but I don't think we'll see that next season. I, and I, I could see him, you know, kind of being a, a best ball value in the in the coming months just from a fantasy perspective Pittman, by the way six foot four with what four or five speed right like he looked that on saturday like yeah he looked like a rookie there were speed bumps in the second half of the season like you said randomly getting passed by zach pascal in the depth chart but he was like a rookie who seemed to be starting to play faster and uh definitely looks very dangerous going forward Game two of the weekend, it was the Rams 30, the Seahawks 20. Pat, you had the distinct honor of blurbing this game. Our concern coming to this was that Seahawks would not let Russ cook. They tried to make the game ugly, win it on defense. How did this one go down compared to our expectations? 
Uh, boy. Yeah, talking about, you know, the, in terms of the vision quest that was the weekend, uh, this game was near the top. And, you know, John Walford, what a tough break. Your first playoff start and you get instantly sent to the hospital by Jamal Adams. Uh, that is a tough break for the young man. But thankfully, he appears to be okay. It was only a stinger. And I don't even remember what your question was about this game, but uh, it was kind of like the culmination of this, the second half disaster that was the Seahawks offense yeah. of the season. And, you know, I don't know. It's, I don't know if any of us can truly say what happened here. Uh, so Russell Wilson, 28 touchdowns, the first eight games of the season, you know, on pace for almost 60 touchdowns and then only 12 in the final eight of the season. And, as we know, like that wasn't a statistical fluke. It was a complete change in their offensive philosophy. And you had that mid-season interception binge in like October and early November where it seemed like maybe he kind of lost his confidence. But, I mean, what definitely happened was Pete Carroll lost his confidence in that approach, and that seems to validate in Pete Carroll's mind all the concerns he had about opening up the offense for so many years. And, you know, he thought he was basically right. And uh, just the team like struggling for an offensive identity because it just seemed like drive to drive. They didn't even know what to do. And, you know, despite not letting Russ cook, you know, Chris Carson never reached 20 carries in a game this season. He never reached 100 yards. And it just seemed like to me, like almost literally drive to drive. They did not know what they wanted to do on offense, either in this game or the second half of the season. This game. Yes, you are correct, because in the first half, they ran 20 plays on first and second down, early downs, and Russ threw on 10 of those and averaged 13 yards per attempt. But it didn't matter because they, of course, ran with the other 10. It's just the same garbage we see from the Seahawks in the playoffs every single year, where Russ gets them there, Russ performs well, and yet they still take the ball out of his hands. We need to just start fast-forwarding to this part of the postseason, let them get out in the first round, and then continue moving on every single year. This is a team that abandoned their incredibly successful formula as soon as it went a little bit sour. You know, Pat talked about the the interception binge by Russell Wilson in October. They didn't stick with it. Um, they didn't figure out other ways to you know implement a pass heavy offense with uh, an incredible quarterback and and two very good receivers. One maybe an all world receiver, and the, you know I think they paid the price. I think they paid the price for operating a, a very conservative, almost, um, they almost look afraid on offense. They look, they look afraid to score, afraid to, to, to gain yards. And we saw that again and again and again, and they got lucky sometimes late in the season and sneaked out just hideous wins. Every Seahawks game <laughs> in November and December was just the ugliest, most boring uh, game that you could ever watch. It was excruciating, honestly, to watch the Seahawks um, in the in the final you know six or eight games of the season, and so of course this playoff loss was exactly that. Um, it, it was just a, an abandoning of a formula that I mean yes, fantasy wise we all loved it. Okay, like Russ being able to cook that that was really cool and fun for fantasy, but it was also cool and fun for Seahawks fans who finally got to see their franchise player uh, take the reins of the offense. Yeah, just a little more perspective on what Seattle did the second half. The first half of the season, they scored 30 or more points in seven out of eight games. The rest of the way, they topped 30 once, and that was their 40-3 to win over the Jets. And, you know, Russ on Saturday, at one point he was – I think he had eight completions in the game with five minutes left. He was like yes. eight for 20 or eight for 21 for, for yardage in the low 100s. It was just absurd. Yeah, and the one big play was like a broken play, the 51-yard touchdown to DK Metcalf, and – 
Yeah, it just really like Jenny laid it out even better than I did. It just seemed like they didn't even. It would have been one thing if they had just gone from cooking to back to like a genuinely run based offense, but I felt like they didn't even do that, and that they just never figured out what or like what they should be on offense. And it's really just inexcusable coaching. And uh, the Pete Carroll just signed an extension; he's not going to go anywhere. It is time we got to get Shoddy out of there. It's time for someone. Yeah who can with some new ideas, someone who can actually exert their influence over Pete Carroll and like turn off Pete's boomer brain. Like, listen, Pete, uh, we're just going to throw on first downs this drive. Let's just see how it goes. Just this drive. And we'll just see how it goes, Pete. And then we'll take it from there. Uh, but yeah, they need, they have to have some new ideas on offense. On the other side of the ball, I was concerned about Goff's future whenever he was the only backup quarterback available and didn't start. That didn't tell me he was injured. That told me that, oh, they just don't want him to start. This is really interesting considering they can't get out of his contract for the next year, if not two seasons. Uh, Having said that, he came off and played his ass off the bench, honestly. They even had the close-up in the third quarter of his thumbs, and like one was exponentially larger than the other. Um, So to play, to move the ball that well on a defense we didn't trust. We talked about this in the preview show, how I was very skeptical of that secondary, considering they hadn't played a single league average quarterback since week 11. And Goff, with one thumb, 12 days off thumb surgery, actually moved the ball efficiently. And more to the point, Cam Akers only turned 21 in June, by the way. Uh, The youngest running back, youngest player among this class. And yet 28 carries for 176 yards from scrimmage and has averaged 27 and a half carries in his past two games, mind you, fresh off high ankle sprain as well. So it looks like they will continue riding him in this game against the Packers. And as we know, Mike Pettin, that's what he does. He allows runs. uh, He allows a high yards per carry on the ground, hoping to simply stop the passing game. But if he allows the Rams to do that, I imagine the Rams again have offensive success. Cam Akers was the best offensive player in this game. He looked kind of like almost like Adrian Peterson type power at some points, which is coming off a high ankle sprain. He's gone over 170 yards from scrimmage twice in his past four games. So as John said, it's not very disheart, not hard to discern what the game plan is going to be in the divisional round. Daigle, I'm with you. Those cutaways to Goff's thumb were alarming uh, to say the least. And, uh, Danny, what do you think the, the Rams are going to do at quarterback? Do you think they're just going to turn back to Jared Goff and his giant thumb, or do you think it'll be John Wolford, assuming you know he's fine from that stinger? Well, yeah, uh, Sean McVay said that he would have to monitor the health, if I remember the words correctly, of both the quarterbacks going forward, which I think kind of speaks to Daigle's point of they're not committed to going in on Goff and saying Goff, Goff is our guy. Like Sean McVay specifically did not say, that if Jared Goff is ready, he will get the start. You would imagine that Goff could play this week if he you know, got through this previous week uh, with the thumb injury. Um, but I, I think that it'll probably come down to, to the wire um, as to who the, the Rams start this week. I, and I, I don't know which guy is better for the offense. You know, uh, I mean, you know, Walford brings that kind of uh, multidimensional rushing a component uh, that that golf certainly does not, but you know, in my my fantasy brain wants Walford to start, but uh, I guess they they really are going to take their time. I guess McVay is going to take his time in in thinking about whether golf is the guy for the divisional round. And it all obviously comes down to Aaron Donald being healthy as well as Cooper Cup, and both those guys sound day to day. It's just something to monitor ahead of this game. 
yeah, Aaron Donald dealing with torn rib cartilage. Cooper Cup dealing with bursitis of the knee. The Rams will travel to Lambeau to face Aaron Rodgers and the Packers next weekend. The highest scoring game of Saturday and the second highest scoring game of the weekend was the Bucks 31, the Washington football team 23. Daigle, Tom Brady and the Bucks had won four in a row heading into this one. What stood out to you when you saw this game? Uh, an increased dose of 12 personnel for the second consecutive game as Cam Brayton now has run only four fewer routes than Gronkowski in the last three weeks. And he was featured, six targets, four catches for 80 yards. Um, meanwhile, you know, we we don't always believe Bruce Arians. He says a lot of different things. But he did say on Friday, and I remember because I was writing news down and blurbing it, uh, that if Evans is healthy, he's going to be full go. Like they're not going to put him out there. Like they were would put him out there potentially um, limited. But he even said if he's active, he's ready to go. And Evans was active, and he ran the most routes for the Bucks. He was not limited whatsoever, um, was not a decoy in the red zone at all. And so you could tell that the Bucks' offense, again, continued running on at full cylinders, which is great considering Brady had the bedtime narrative, and this was a primetime game. Uh, Brady had a easier schedule. In this game, he, of course, was going against Washington's pass rush, and the Bucks still just put it on them. What I didn't expect, of course, was one, Ronald Jones frustratingly getting injured in pregame when lineups had already locked, and two, uh, Taylor Heineke being – we've seen four quarterbacks for Washington all year, and Heineke was far and away the best performance we've seen all year. Uh, Why wasn't he under center earlier? That was my only question. So for a team that we laughed at in winning the NFC East uh, to play like that and hang with the Bucs genuinely, that that was refreshing. Yeah, I mean, my takeaway was Tom Brady just doing whatever he wanted. And, like, I thought the revival of Tom Brady in December might have been partly schedule-related because it was the Vikings, it was the Lions, it was the Falcons twice, which it was still very good to see Tom Brady after shaky midseason play light up any defense. Like, even though it was bad defenses, it was a very good sign. He was just lighting up on these bad defenses. But then he came out against one of the better defenses, maybe not one of the better secondaries, but one of the better overall defenses in the league. And really, he really did just do whatever he wanted. And uh, a very encouraging sign for the Bucs going forward. Tom Brady, as you know, was so often the case, looking at his best uh, at the most important time of year. So I'm kind of back on the Bucs bandwagon a little bit. I mean, it's still, uh, by playoff standards, you know, uh, an easier date on the schedule, even with the awesome Washington front seven. We have the Bucs look like rounding into form. The exact perfect time of year. And it's for Washington under center with Taylor Heineke. Heineke, whoever settled on this pronunciation, by the way, I don't know. Tunyon. Uh, yeah, Tunyon. It's yeah, <laughs> Taylor Tunyon. Uh, this is where they, I don't know. I mean, my very, very cynical interpretation is where they were they like more focused on like winning like comeback player of the year awards than they were like winning football games because Alex Smith barely looked ready before the calf injury yeah, in week 17. I mean, he should not have been on the field. So they made the adjustment better late than never. Uh, for the wild card round, but it looked like yeah, Taylor Heineke should have been the guy under center all along. Yeah, I yeah, talking about Heineke, you you got the sense uh, leading up to the game that Washington's only chance was benching or or finding a way not to play Alex Smith. I mean, Alex, uh, a fully healthy post leg break, Alex Smith is just barely a, a game managing type type quarterback and a gimpy. Alex Smith post leg break. Alex Smith is hardly startable, you know, in, in, in the league. And we saw that when, you know, against Philadelphia. And, and so when you remembered how Heineke looked against Carolina uh, when he came in for Haskins 
you kind of put two and two together. And I mean, I, I thought, and I, I was actually afraid to tweet it. And I, and I sometimes am afraid to tweet things, believe it or not. That's uh, to say, you know, Heineke is their only shot at winning this game. And, you know, I think Daigle said he's like clearly the best quarterback on the team. And I think that there is something to what Pat's saying about was this like a, uh, a tribute? This whole season was like a tribute to Alex Smith coming back, which is great, which is great. No, no one didn't like seeing Alex Smith come back. But if you are really, you know, committed to to winning are you are you are you committed to Alex Smith as your quarterback it just it just didn't make much sense at some point it's it was definitely a courageous season uh but 20 years from now someone's gonna look up just did box score searching and ask wait the comeback play of the year averaged six yards per attempt what were y'all thinking and we'll have to explain to them the whole scenario surrounding Alex Smith's season uh for Haneke though he now enters free agency, but I would imagine, although I wouldn't he imagine he returns as Washington starter, he, that was a well enough performance that Washington has confidence in bringing him back as a backup because their priority this offseason should be quarterback. Yeah, Taylor Henneke, what he really did there was, yeah, get himself in like the number two quarterback bridge mix because, as you know, these backup talents, uh, the larger the sample size gets, the more like overexposed they tend to get, but uh, – I mean, so few quarterbacks struggle to even have one game like that. So he has definitely put himself in like the number two quarterback mix for like the next three or four years in the NFL. Heineke finished 26 of 44, 306 yards, one touchdown, one pick, added six carries for 46 yards and a score on the ground. He was the football team's leading rusher. Uh, quickly, guys, before we move on from this game, I want to talk about this Bucks backfield, which I think one-upped itself in terms of how infuriating it's been uh, for fantasy managers this year. We saw Leonard Fournette, as Daigle mentioned, the Ronald Jones uh, quad contusion flaring up, apparently flaring up during pregame. I don't know how that exactly happens. Uh, it was a collision on the sidelines or something. Uh, but Fournette went for 19 carries, 93 yards, one touchdown, added four for 39 through the air. That's really one of his more explosive stat lines of the season, Danny. I mean, if you're playing DFS next weekend, is I mean, are we looking at a split? What What do you think we're going to see? Uh, it. I'm still tilted over the the Jones <laughs> yeah. pregame thing, so I'm I'm still recovering. But I, I I will say that the way that Bruce Arians sometimes talks about Leonard Fournette, you you wonder if you know he's always on the verge of being like a fifty fifty guy alongside Jones. I mean, the thing is though, when Jones is healthy, uh, he's like very clearly the lead back and the best back in the uh, on on Tampa's offense. It depends, I guess, on Ronald Jones uh, and how he can practice this week, his availability. You know, you kind of have to read, uh, you know, read the tea leaves and see how it's going late in the week, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't think that I don't think that you can discount Leonard Fournette as like a, a, a DFS option this week, even if Bruce Arians says, "Yeah, no, Ronald's ready to go." Will be tough. It'll be against the Saints, who, as we know, just ended superstar David Montgomery's season. Um, but how's that? How's that work for the division around John Denny? Will it be two two game slates. There won't be any four game slates. Will there? Uh, no. What DraftKings did and FanDuel after we were all angry about it, they did throw up a six game slate this past week. But it wasn't the featured one. It didn't have the most money going into it. I imagine they'll do the same thing because, as we know, they enjoy rake. So two featured two game slates, and then likely a four game slate that, Pat, you may win big again on since you're now a professional DFS player. <laughs> We're not going to get into that, me becoming a millionaire over the weekend, but uh, on DFS. <laughs> for, 
But I missed the news of the six game slate. I wish I had heard that. I would have gotten in on that. Uh, I will talk about this game in the, the backfields real quick. Antonio Gibson, where where is he going to go next year? Because like uh, the dude already did the hard part. We thought he was a receiver, and they he got proven on early downs. Before he does, he tied for only third in rookie running back receptions, thirty six. And like I could see someone him as someone who just goes like stratospheric with their ADP uh, at only 33 carries at his final year in Memphis and finished 12th overall in fantasy points per game among running backs as the featured guy. Uh, does JD McKissick, I haven't looked this contract up. Is he on a one-year deal or is he on, is he there longer? I would have to imagine as a one-year deal. Cause he was kind of like, uh, wasn't he like a late summer edition? We're just like at the part of the, the podcast where we're just guessing in January. Uh, JD Mc- that's like a one-year deal that he's signing like August 20th, I think, as I say. It's, it up. it's kind of funny because we coveted uh, Gibson in the preseason for his pass-catching chops, and that seemed to not matter since that was the Gizek role. And same goes for Jonathan Taylor, who, yeah, broke out in the end, but we coveted him more for his vision, and he was actually a better pass-catcher for most of the year than his rushing abilities. So overall, though, uh, those guys, yeah, will definitely be in the top, you know, Taylor's going to be a first-round pick, but uh, Gibson will likely be a first three-round guy. All right, the Bucks will travel to New Orleans, the first playoff matchup ever between two quarterbacks, 40 or older, Brady and Drew Brees in that one. Hulu is coming in hot this month with new shows, new movies, and all new seasons of your faves. Don't miss FX's Clipped, the story of one NBA team's racial reckoning, starring Lawrence Fishburne. Stream a new season of Shorzy, the underdog hockey comedy that might just knock your teeth out. Then catch the high-speed drama Ferrari starring Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Kick your streaming into high gear this month with so much new stuff to watch on Hulu. There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Let's move to Sunday, guys. The Ravens and the Titans had the highest projected total of the weekend. Naturally, they came nowhere close to it. The Ravens win it 20 to 13. Pat. We'll start with you. What stood out? I mean, what stood out was kind of a regular theme we had on the podcast all throughout the season was maybe it's kind of some skepticism that the Titans would be able to repeat what they did on offense in 2019 and 2020. And then like largely doing that most of the year. And Ryan Tannehill averaged over nine yards per attempt in 2019. He wasn't anywhere close to that this year. It was more like the high sevens, which was still very good for Ryan Tannehill. But what we finally saw the final like three or four games a season was some of the concerns about the Titans offense come to fruition. Uh, where this was, they get behind, you know, they're just in big trouble happening. against the Packers. And even though they were up 10, nothing, it's the Ravens and the Ravens never like put them away. It felt like the Titans were the team, you know, like really playing from behind, even in a close game. And when this offense is playing from behind, it's, it kind of goes off the rails and like, especially with the Ravens like selling out to stop Derrick Henry, and put the game on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders, and he just wasn't up to the task. And it's hard to truth Ryan Tannehill after what he's done the past year. He's clearly an above-average NFL quarterback, but I just still think we saw that, yeah, he 
they're running the right offense for Ryan Tannehill. He cannot be like the featured element. They are a team that maybe if you're actually going to pay a running back, it made sense. Those the Tennessee Titans, and still, I don't. Maybe they've taken this to, to its logical conclusion. This, you know, they might lose Arthur Smith, one of the better play callers apparently, in football, and that maybe we might need a retool from the Titans and offense next year because, uh, yeah, that maybe they've they've ridden this formula for all it's worth. Well, Arthur Smith also is definitely gone. A terrific head coaching candidate that will get plugged and go somewhere else. Uh, it was still an odd finish, though. We were fortunate to get the band back together for one more run. And Arthur Smith, Tannehill, and Derrick Henry, all who had to basically come back. Uh, Tannehill and Henry, of course, who were extended in the same offseason this past year. But to end like this, um, in the first half alone, 12 passes on early downs for 8.4 yards per attempt. And then meanwhile, 16 runs through those three first three quarters for just 3.1 yards per carry. Derrick Henry was clearly going nowhere. Tannehill was clearly the better option to get it done. And yet they continued to pound Henry to go nowhere when they just could have passed the ball more effectively. So it's a fitting end considering how poorly the play calling was in this game. And I mean, of course we have to talk about Mike Vrabel making the most cowardly decision of the entire weekend, uh, down 17-13, 10 minutes remaining, punting on fourth and two from the Ravens' 40-yard line. What were we even thinking? So again, this just goes back to uh, four teams or four games next year on wildcard weekend, not six. <laughs> Let's keep bad coaching out of this thing. Yeah, the, the punt was unforgivable. I Agreed. mean, it was a... It was a big. It was a big football guy move. Not, I will say not that. to cut you off, but like it was. Imagine telling yourself, "We got to punt to win." Like literally, that's what he did. He punted his own team out of the postseason. That's right. Yes, that's right. And and this comes from a guy who seems very savvy. You know, you know. Remember him sending the player out into the field to have too many guys in the field to have the penalty call to stop the clock late in the game. They, they go on to win that game. I was so impressed by that and and by, uh, you know, other maneuvers that Frabel has has made this season. I thought, oh, like this guy, this guy's with it. Like he gets it. What that punt, like now my whole theory is blown up. I, I, and I don't know what to, I don't know what to think of him. It, it was not unfortunate uh, that, this, you know, offensive run ended this way uh, with, you know, a refusal to, uh, stop trying to establish even when it wasn't working. And when you have, you know, Tannehill, a very efficient passer, and you have, you know, two really good pass catchers in, in, in A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, you had all that going for you, and they, and they didn't, um, you know, they didn't use it, and, and they didn't seem to, to care to use it. They were, they were intent on winning in one specific way, and when that didn't work, they didn't shift. You know, they, they didn't make the adjustments. It reminds me of, of you know, the Seahawks a, a bit and just refusing to adjust to what's happening in, in game. Well, when it comes to the punt, I mean, Mike Tomlin held uh, Mike Vrabel's beer, by the way. So, I mean, I had known of ever more outraged by a punt uh, as it was Mike Vrabel's until last night where I was more outraged by some punting decisions by Mike Tomlin. And it's Mike Vrabel, as Denny said, is usually very savvy, uh, which maybe just speaks to like the vagaries of like being in the, it was unforgivable. There's no even way to excuse it, but just, I guess, in the emotion of a game, sometimes when you're like truly like on the side, like it's just, maybe you just get so caught up and you make a bad emotional. I don't think like Mike Vrabel is suddenly like Mr. Conservative, like Mr. Old school football time. Like we're going to punt and play field position all the time, but 
just a horrible decision in the flow I mean, of the game. Basically. This is a guy last year who said he'd cut off his own penile to win a Super Bowl, and yet fourth and two on the Ravens' 40 – punted the ball it was just a dumbfounded decision to be clear like i like i said i already spoke highly of arthur smith i still have all the respect in the world for mike Vrabel, who was still attempting to coach up like a good defensive schemer despite having zero talent on defense had no bodies to work with this year due to injuries across the board specifically in their front seven so i was not expecting them we talked about this in the preview show to stop the ravens defense but just so many coaches don't step back and do some self-realization, just talk to themselves. Like, I know they want to believe in their guys, but you just got to say, like, it's still the Ravens offense rolling on you. You cannot punt the ball down a score with 10 minutes left. That's insane. It, it makes well, you wonder if Rabel was really committed, you know, to doing that, to win a Super Bowl. Uh, no, he's a fraud. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I, I thought the whole time that he was serious about it. So. See, not <laughs> – not cutting it off was a very low T move, is what Denny's trying to say. <laughs> well, we saw Derrick Henry held to a season low 40 yards in this game. And Daigle, you just mentioned the Ravens offense a second ago. We really haven't even talked much about Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown and company. I mean, does that speak to how dominant the Ravens D was in this game? I mean, you got to give a lot of credit there, right? Even as we're kind of slamming Tennessee, Ravens D looked pretty impressive. I talked about this on Friday's DFS show with Hayden. Uh, the Ravens have Derrick Henry's number through three quarters. He had 14 carries for 44 yards um, in that last game. They won, the Titans won in overtime through the regulation. He had 18 carries for 60, 54 yards, one of those numbers, and then broke out three carries, 53 yards, and a touchdown in overtime. So the Ravens had historically stuffed him already. So it's, it was not a matchup I was worried about. I just thought the Titans would move the ball better through the air. But again, like we've talked about to this point, they didn't even try to move the ball through the air. They still stuck with what they have historically done, running Derrick Henry on early down inefficiently. Uh, and it just didn't happen. It didn't break out where Derrick Henry was in position in the fourth quarter to road grade a tired defense like he's done throughout the year. So I'm still trusting the Ravens offense moving on here. And again, with the matchup with the Bills now, uh, it comes down to will the Bills defense play better because they did not play well against the Colts. John, I, just, I think a big part of what was was going on with the Titans on Sunday uh, with, you know, why aren't they passing more? Why isn't the passing game more efficient today? But something strange seemed to be going on with Corey Davis. Who, he was injured, right? Well, week 17, he had some drops. And, like, he got like kind of like a talking to on the sideline in week 17. And I don't know if he was just the guy who they, like, lost faith in, lost confidence in. It was like a confidence thing. But – Something seemed to be malfunctioning with Corey Davis, and because wasn't he on the sideline for some of the game against the Ravens too? Like, uh, just something was going on there, either injury or confidence. Which again, I'm getting very boomer, but uh, something was not going completely right with Corey I, Davis, and that definitely I, hurt. That actually team. makes sense because they vaguely, like Vabel was asked, and Vabel just said he's injured and moved on to the next question. Like maybe he wasn't injured, uh, and also Corey Davis. My point is, although he had a terrific season, nearly reached a thousand yards. A.J. Brown was the reason Corey Davis was successful. Like AJ, yeah. Corey Davis, although he's a tremendous athlete, did very well in college, finally got to work alongside an alpha receiver, whereas historically they treated Davis like an alpha, and he's absolutely not that. So it's going to depend entirely on where he lands in free agency because he's not coming back to Tennessee on his fantasy outlook for 2021. Goose eggs for Corey Davis in two of his last my, games. My lineups, no, don't worry. <laughs> 
All right, the Ravens are traveling to Buffalo to meet the Bills. Meanwhile, in Game 2 on Sunday afternoon, Pat Doherty got the only thing he could ask for in this life, a Bears Island game on Nickelodeon, no less. Uh, this game, this game, like, almost seemed to create a disruption in the space-time continuum or something. I, I could swear that time stood still as the Saints beat the Bears 21-9. Danny, Why? <laughs> Why? Uh, well, that is a good question. Uh, I mean, you know, I think the the Saints were very comfortable with operating, you know, a pretty conservative offensive approach, knowing that the Bears' offense wasn't going to do anything, and and that they were facing a completely toothless offense in Mitch Trubisky led uh, the Mitch Trubisky led Bears that uh, didn't pose a threat. Uh, to them. So, you know, they, they were not aggressive. They were not particularly sharp. Um, I think actually Pat had a, had a good tweet yesterday during the game. Congratulations on one good tweet, Pat. Um, <laughs> you know, where uh, he said uh, the Saints offense, even when it's clicking, uh, has that end of Brady in New England vibe. And, and I think that that was, that was spot on. I mean, it was working fine, and maybe that's as as well as that pass game can work with um, latter day Breeze operating in the pocket there. But did they look good? No. But I, I think I think the Saints kind of knew that they didn't have to be good to beat such a, a terrible Bears team. You know, sometimes when you watch a game, you're like, "Well, this game is over." Uh, that was the Javon Wims touchdown drop because. Like the Bears were going to have to play a perfect game of any shot. And the, the Saints were kind of, as Denny said, playing so conservatively, uncreatively, they were kind of messing around, like letting the Bears stay in the game. And like that Javon Wims touchdown, that's the kind of thing that could like flip a playoff game, you know, and like right. just totally change the complexion of a game. And they dropped the ball. And we knew that this offense was not going to get another chance like that. And that was the, the moment this game died and like that the Saints – yeah, could just keep trying to refine their Patriots formula where they're just going to just beat you over the head with the short passing and you hope that uh, Alvin Kamara or Michael Thomas then turns one of them into a long touchdown. And uh, the review of the Drew Brees non-touchdown at the end of the game, like that review alone I think was longer than all the other games played this weekend. Uh, it was just a very, very dispiriting uh, football game. It was clearly not a touch. I mean, what? why did they even have to look at it twice? It wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. It wasn't the perfect summary of the Bears season is one them not getting slimed until the clock was already run out. <laughs> Took it the entire game against the Saints defense to get slimed. And Jimmy Graham walks away into the sunset covered in green. And uh, that drop from Jamad Vaughn wins, which was arguably Mitchell Trubisky's best throw of his entire career, given the how tough it was to escape the pocket and then launch it downfield drop it in a bucket perfectly in the end zone and whims just hits his chest and falls to the ground. That's it. Like that's the bear season. They didn't deserve to be here. Here we are today. Having said that the saints didn't play spectacularly well, either just seven points in an ugly first half. And I know it seems like they dominated the second half. I don't know if anyone noticed, 
They had three possessions the entire second half. They ran 38 plays for 216 mm. yards and two touchdowns. They dink and dunk their way down the field and allowed the Bears to have the ball for only seven minutes over the final two quarters. I so they, didn't, they weren't explosive. They didn't play particularly well. We've seen three games now with Michael Thomas this year, and I understand historically there's a lot more to work with, but Breeze has only looked at Thomas on 70%, 17% of his pass attempts, whereas Taysom Hill was throwing to Thomas 40% of the time. So that's why Thomas's target share also and opportunities have decreased this year. Uh, it's going to take a much better offensive performance to get past the Bucs because at least right now, although the Bucs defense has become a pass funnel, and we've seen this game in week one earlier this year when the Bucs offense was not clicking, we do know Brady's going to come in and have success against this defense. It's just a matter of can and how the Saints respond. We talked about uh, the Titans' cowardly decision to punt. The Bears basically punted on this entire game. You guys talked about that drop. I mean, it, it just seemed like they would have rather lost by double digits, which they did, than, than give Mitch Trubisky a chance to make any mistakes. They have to take out – they also have to take out – fan voting from our hands. They can't give us that power. We can't watch Mitch Trubisky get beaten by four scores, essentially, and then accept a, a football award covered in green slime. Like, we have far too much power in this country. Take it away from us. Cancel us. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? What is, what is he, that? That, that was no, the best I, I, moment. I, I, oh, my God. Did he? Uh, Nickelodeon, I can't believe I'm breaking this news to you. Nickelodeon yeah. had a had a fan vote for MVP, Nickelodeon Valuable Player, according what? to us. And what do you think we did with that power? We voted for Mitch Trubisky. And so oh. he accepted the award and had to give a speech on Nickelodeon in front of kids after the game. I think we have to rethink democracy at this point. <laughs> Some other people doing that. Hey, uh, on a serious note, though, I do want to say, like, I am all for burning our norms to the ground this goes with anything in life but like the, the normal football boots like screw them uh give me something different like nickelodeon that's why i enjoyed it so much football we do this job we talk about it because it's fun nickelodeon was just fun um i understand at some points it could be a beat down but overall just to have a different feel for a game to have 15 year old uh what was her name daniela nava green um natalia nava gabby gabby Right. Nabby, thank you. Okay, just to have her making better decisions than coaches we saw this weekend <laughs> and telling the Bears to go for it on fourth down. Meanwhile, Vrabel and uh, who was the last co- – oh, Tomlin punting for it on fourth down. When a 15-year-old is making better decisions on the mic than they are, like it's just something fresh and unique. So I, for one, actually enjoy it a lot and tat tip to Nate Burleson who was tremendous like at first I thought he just cast the paycheck and highlighting Spongebob's 15 most sports related moments throughout the pregame show but that dude came more than prepared he dumbed down football and made it fun and intelligent for kids who were watching for the first time uh so yeah that I, I thought it was a tremendous broadcast overall despite the Bears being involved well, Daigle, I think we got to take it to the next level. I'm with you, and I think we need Gabby Nivia Green coaching a game next season. Let's just let her be on the sideline for one of these games. I, I thought you were going to tell me take it up a notch and trade Booger to Nickelodeon. I was like, yes, now we're talking. I, I will say about the Trubisky thing, by the way, uh, uh, Arif Hassan last week on Twitter had a very good tweet where uh, said kids are demanding more representation in media. And he's he was saying that about Mitchell Trubisky being on Nickelodeon. And finally – you know, a, a nice like Mitch Trubisky was basically made for Nickelodeon, so maybe that's why he won the award. It was perfect. The whole game was perfect. 
All right, the Saints are moving on to meet Tom Brady and the Bucks. New Orleans won both of those matchups this year. Now let's get to the final game of the weekend, guys. As we all predicted, the Browns traveled to Pittsburgh without head coach Kevin Stefanski and led the Steelers wire to wire in a 48 to 37 win. Daigle, uh, you covered this one for Roto World. How did Cleveland pull this off? I mean, a 28-0 lead in the first quarter. And despite all that, believe it or not, the Browns only ran 12 offensive plays in that stretch. And what's funny is that the Steelers actually outscored them 37-20 to over the last three quarters. But that opening fumble six that Mike Pouncey snapped over Roethlisberger's head when he wasn't ready, and ultimately Roethlisberger's two first-quarter interceptions, the worst quarter in his playoff career, ultimately decided the Browns winning this game and scoring the most points in the first half of any Cleveland playoff game in their franchise history. Uh, and then it also came down to with the Steelers, like I said, out basically outperforming the Browns over the last three quarters. We get down to the third quarter, Tomlin, the Steelers trail 35 to 23, fourth and one from their own 46 yard line. And he goes into the commercial ahead of the fourth quarter to start and takes the time to make that decision. And what does he do? He, he of course, tries to draw the Browns offside, the most football guy move ever, uh, goes back to fourth and six and punts the game away. Uh, six plays later, of course, first of all, has tip to the Browns because they came out wanting to basically end this game and call it a day. They threw yes. on five of their next six plays, including the sixth play, which was Nick Chubb's 40 yard screen. He housed to just shove it back in Tomlin's face for such a cowardly play call. So I, for one, am glad the Steelers are gone. Uh, 11 0 start, lost five of their last six games, did not really deserve to be here because they played so poorly down the stretch. And they, in my opinion, have become one of the most interesting teams to discuss this offseason because they have not shown any interest in bringing back Judas Smith-Schuster. Already declined his fifth-year option. He's gone out the door as an unrestricted free agent. And you look at a site like Spotrack or Over the Cap, and they evaluate his market since he only turns 25 in season next year. Still so young. Uh, they evaluate him as a player who should get a six-year deal over $100 million. And given his last two seasons with the Steelers without Antonio Brown, he really didn't show any alpha traits. So I don't know if he'll actually garner that, despite deserving that, on the open market. And then, of course, James Washington gone as well. So we could, could be looking at Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool opening in two wide sets from who knows. Because Rossberger has a hefty cap hit in the last year of his deal, but maybe even though they don't want that on his plate. So who knows? Either way, they are now gone, thankfully. Sorry, I ran. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I was uh, I was actually really impressed by the Browns' willingness to stay aggressive later in the game. I think it would have been really easy for a team like that that wasn't expected to be in that position at all uh, to get super conservative, super scared, keep running, keep calling, you know, little dinks and dunks, but they, they did not, they weren't super aggressive, but they were sufficiently aggressive, which I, I think is very much uh, to their credit. Uh, you, you got, you got the sense later in that game that this could end up really, really badly for the Browns as, as the Steelers started to pour on passing yards and, and score touchdowns. And you thought, oh my God, it's, it's happening. Like, like <laughs> it, it's going to be this epic uh, comeback slash meltdown, but the Browns really stuck to the guns. They were aggressive. And I think that that's, uh, even though Stefanski was not there, Ken Stefanski, of course, has COVID-19, watched the game from his basement, apparently. I think that 
you know, his coaching style was evident, you know, in, in the way that the Browns conducted themselves on offense in that win. Danny, as you alluded to, like the, this might be happening feeling is why the punt just, it was fourth and one from their own 46. They're down 35, 23 with a quarter to go. And just, it may be honestly the most egregious punting decision I've ever seen. I just, don't know what the justification for this could possibly be. And so, you know, yesterday, twitter.com, there was a debate about momentum, which, you know, a very kind of a normal day on Twitter. Uh, people just yelling at each other about things that can't really be proven. We think that momentum, you know, probably isn't real, but if momentum was real, you know, the weight of Cleveland Browns history bearing down on them with their special teams court coordinator serving as the interim coach, like if the Steelers had gone for it and gotten there and scored and made it 35-30, I think we might have seen some nerves from the Cleveland Browns. And just to – I mean, this, we were kind of already seeing nerves from the Cleveland Browns. And just that kind of let them off the hook, like allowed them to like resettle, stabilize. All right, listen, it's fine. We're still up by 12 points. We have the ball back. And just one of the most egregious decisions you will ever see in an NFL football game. First win since first playoff win since 1995. First road playoff win in the last 52 years, and they did it without their top corners, without their coach of the year candidate, and a banged up offensive line that actually didn't allow a single pressure on Baker Mayfield throughout the entire night. Just a hell of a performance. Again, though, it comes down to how their defense plays, and they need to get Denzel Ward in particular back and get everyone healthy because now you get the Chiefs offense, and again, the Steelers. It had no issues moving the ball in offense over the last three quarters. And so with Patrick Mahomes at a healthy offense, fresh off a bye, uh, I'm still slightly concerned despite how good of a story it is. The Browns are expecting everybody back this week. Um, yeah. I know it's, it's a little premature, but the corners, uh, Joel Betonio, the left guard, and uh, of course Stefanski and the other coaches are expected back. They were down to a third string left guard listing who Baker Mayfield said he had literally never met until mm-hmm. the game. If you want to know about like, the, the Cleveland Browns depth last night. And, and if you thought Juju didn't provide any motivation for them, literally every player opened their conference with Browns, just the Browns. Like they were all, it was clearly hung in the locker room for them to read every single time they walked in and out of the tunnel. Quickly tying things up on the Pittsburgh side of things. Chase Claypool went for five catches, 59 yards, two scores, as Daigle predicted last week, by the way. Thanks for that tip. And, and Roethlisberger, I mean, just piled up some absurd stats in this game. 47 for 68, the 47 completions, an NFL record for completions in a game. Four touchdowns, four picks, 501 yards. He turns Phillip Rivers, and by that I mean 39 in March, just quickly, Danny, what's this Pittsburgh team going to look look like next year? I mean, Daigle mentioned all the uncertainty for this team, for this roster. Yeah, um, the Steelers uh, reporter for, for The Athletic wrote this morning that you can expect this team to give one more shot with a Roethlisberger-led hmm. offense um, and because of the contract situation, because of the team's, uh, I don't know, commitment to continuity. You know, they've had – three coaches over their 250 year history. So, uh, it, you know, and, and, uh, and so they're, they're, I think they're, they're going to go, they're going to get the band back together minus Juju one more time for next season. And then we're probably going to see, uh, you know, a kind of a rebuilding project in Pittsburgh. I would imagine that we are looking to avoid Ross Berger and fantasy drafts next year, oh, yeah. uh, a statue, 
two turns 39, <laughs> his final year on his last legs in Pittsburgh without Juju and with Benny Snell likely starting since James Conner, also an unrestricted free agent, who maybe they threw a, throw a few bucks at. He doesn't get too many high offers on the market, and they bring him back for a year. But they seem to have trusted Benny Snell, although he's averaged under four yards per carry in both seasons in the league and has been a really ineffective goal line runner when asked him to do so. So it's just an offense, despite having amazing wide receivers available, uh, is not one you're probably looking to stack. That was this year, and we saw how that paid off. Denny, you said like they're going to get together for one more. This certainly felt like the one more run here. You know, like it's hard to believe there's another one more run after this one more run. And Ben had like the thousand yard stare, you know, on the bench after the game last night. He didn't look like a guy who was like, well, I'm definitely coming back next year. I think the story of Ben. Average intended air yards, 7.1 this year, near the bottom of the league. Uh, two years ago, 2017, it was 9.2. Like, that's just cratered in, like, one three-year period, and he appears to be uh, on his last legs. Yeah, that Benny Snell 19 carries for, I think, 113 yards in week one seems like an absolute eternity ago. <laughs> and Connor, I mean, for a guy who mostly stayed healthy this year, just really did almost nothing, Daigle, like the second half of the season. Yeah, he only missed one game due to injury, a quad injury. Uh, weeks 12 and 13 was on the COVID list, but you can't fault him for that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just an odd way to enter free agency because he was practically healthy, had his second most carries of his career, I believe. But I can't imagine he's too highly coveted. Uh, his outlook as well depends entirely on the destination and if he lands in a committee. All right, the Browns will travel to face Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs next weekend. That is going to do it for us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. We'll be back here on Thursday to preview the divisional round. Rams-Packers, Ravens-Bills on Saturday. Browns-Chiefs, Bucks-Saints on Sunday. Daigle, anything you want to mention before we get out of here programming-wise? Friday's DFS show, same time, 6 p.m. Eastern. Other than that, I don't know what columns we have coming out. It's kind of that time of the year where the schedule seems to fluctuate. Pat, tell them what you have. Say plug it, Denny. Denny's got the ranks. I'm not. I'm not doing anything this week, guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm useless this week. <laughs> Denny. Denny is doing divisional round rankings after he did wild card rankings last week. So Denny's where it's at this week. Pat would so like to plug not doing anything, <laughs> except for uh, getting ready to move, like someone else in this podcast just did. Denny and a uh, not at all yeah. daunted by it at all. Right, it's wow. moving season for Roto World, guys. Apparently, uh, wow. yeah. Listen, I appreciate you handing off the ranks to me so that every time uh, those ranks are tweeted, someone can call me a, a, an effing idiot. You know, that's that's my <laughs> that's really my pleasure. Well, to be fair, they're right. But, uh... and, and the good news. The good news is with only like six and four games and two games, it doesn't even matter. Like we're beyond, we're beyond the hate now. Like it can't get to me anymore. I log off Twitter. I go play golf. You cannot frustrate me any longer this year. (laughs) All right. Daigle, Pat, Denny. Thanks guys. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you on Thursday. Look around. You can find cars like these on auto trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. There are two things that are absolutely true. 
Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's for a limited time.